quick uh, trivia quiz for you. You ready? What is more likely to kill you? Okay. I'll give you multiple choice tests here. What's more likely to kill you? Smoking 15 cigarettes per day or drinking six alcoholic drinks per day or physical inactivity or obesity, overweight, or loneliness, lacking social connection. Yeah, you guys kind of know that one, right? Because which one of these is not like the other? You know, who's going to throw loneliness if that's not the answer? That's, that's, that's the answer. Loneliness. Research has proven that out. That, And I quote, Lacking social connection is as dangerous as smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day. We have Surgeon General's warnings and have for decades now on cigarettes saying this is known to cause cancer. We know it's harmful, but do we realize how harmful it is to lack social connection, to be lonely? <clears throat> I didn't come up with that trivia question, by the way, but it's interesting that it came into my inbox a week ago, and it's based on the same things that I was reading at the same time, that God is at work making us aware of what a recent report calls a crisis of connection, especially here in the United States, but it's actually throughout the Western world, a crisis of connection. And so we're looking today at John 13, verses 34 and 35, just those two verses, which are our theme for this year and support the theme that we're picking up, our primary focus, which is that the community is the foundation for mission. Community, you might say it this way, is missional. It's the foundation for mission, for activity. And we have not only a tremendous opportunity to make ourselves healthier as we engage in community together, but to impact the world around us and to see not only spiritual health grow, but to see physical health improve, to see emotional health improve on top of what we would say is most important, our spiritual health. Now listen to these words of Jesus Christ and consider the solution that he offers here for our crisis of connection. John 13, 34 to 35. This is God's word. <clears throat> A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is God's word. Lord, would you meet us here today and grow our love for one another? Grow our love for you. Transform our hearts 
to become more like you, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Well, those words of Jesus are among the last words uh, that he shared with his followers in the last hours of his earthly ministry before going to the cross. They, they are foundational for how we understand church. How we understand what it is to be a community of faith that follows Jesus. They, they are, I want to say, more foundational than what we talked about in the videos this week that I shared, and hopefully you had a chance to watch. Uh, more foundational than, than the idea that we are called to an upward you know, worship of God and to an inward kind of a relational discipleship thing and to an outward call, all supported by servant leaders. This truth here in this passage is foundational for all of those things. As Jesus shares it with his disciples on the night of his betrayal, he says, not once, not twice, but three times, love one another. Three times here in these two verses. In fact, if you look at the underlying Greek text from which we get our English translations, 10 of the 28 words in these two verses, a third of the words revolve around loving one another. Jesus doesn't want us to miss it. He repeats it and repeats it. And the essence of, of it is this, that community is the foundation for mission. That the, the reality is that without community, you don't have a church, right? Without community... You don't have uh, Peter, James, John, Paul. You don't have the New Testament. You don't have the Old Testament. Without community, you, you, you don't have anything. And it's been that way by God's design since literally the very beginning. Because as God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it, there was one thing that he said was not good. After repeatedly saying it was good, 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 it was very good. A moment later in Genesis 2.18, he said it is not good. What was not good? Do you remember? It is not good for man to be alone. We were made to be in relationships. And there it was talking about the marriage relationship, but that relationship was the foundation for all of every other relationship to come between human beings. It's foundational. That community is the foundation of everything that we do. And in, it's not just any community, right? There, there's political action committees, you know, there's uh, after school clubs, you know, there's all kinds of communities in our day. But what Jesus is particularly talking about is a community of love for one another. A community of love for one another. And that's how we're going to look at this passage today under that overarching umbrella that, that we are called to be a community of love, that, that we are to be known by love. What that means, first of all, is, is that we connect relationally with one another. I mean, just the very reality of having the, the, the phrase, 
love one another, just the one another part of it show up three times in this passage is a pretty big clue that we are to be connected relationally. You gotta have another for you to have one another, right? Not, on, not only that, but the, the pronouns in our passage, the you words that show up here, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, you could translate that as use or y'all, right? It's plural. Every time you shows up in this passage, it's plural. A new commandment I give to y'all or to use that y'all love one another. I spent too much time in the South, so I'm just going to use y'all. And I'm married to a woman from Texas. So even as I have loved y'all, that y'all also love one another. By this all men will know that y'all are my disciples if y'all have love for one another. On top of that, the verbs in the passage are plural. When he says you love one another, sometimes the pronoun isn't even needed because it's in the verb, but the verb is a second person plural. Y'all love. And he says you, y'all love. It's emphatic. That there is to be a community of people connecting to one another in relationships. Jesus, you know, here at, at the end is emphasizing and drawing together what he's been living out for them for a while now, at least three years with the followers that he had. He had an intimate circle of three, Peter, James, and John. They had the privilege of going up with him on the mountain in Matthew 17, one through eight, to see him transfigured and transformed as God talked to him there on the mountain. Then he had a bigger, broader circle, but it was only 12 people, 12 men that he called to himself as apostles, that he might send them out, that they might be with him. And then there was the larger crowd. It was all about community, a community relating to one another and to Jesus. A community that he said, uh, not without nuance, but that he said was on par with your earthly family. That it was that high of a priority that you were to view this community as important as your earthly, biological, you know, relational family of origin, however you want to characterize that. That's how important Jesus said this community that he's calling together is for you and I. The disciples were not known for their education or for their occupation, right? They were known for their relationship. With Jesus, we see in Acts chapter 4, as the religious leaders uh, persecuting them and saying, you know, we can't have these guys doing these things. They were at a loss because, I mean, these are just like uneducated, untrained men. But they recognized, Acts 4.13 says, they had been with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They were connected with Jesus and they were connected with each other. That the whole community was about this relationship between one another and everyone with Jesus. It, you could call it communion. This common union. 
When we can use the Apostles' Creed a moment ago, did you hear it say the communion of the saints? That means I believe in God's people having a common fellowship, a union together with one another and with Jesus. We're going to celebrate, Lord willing, here in a little bit, the Lord's Supper. We also call it communion. That time when together we acknowledge we're a community all together relating to Jesus and one another. It's one of the reasons why uh, we emphasize it's for God's people. That if you don't understand what's about, let it pass you by. That if you're not understanding what we believe, let, it, let the elements pass you by. That if, if you uh, are, are, are sinning in a way that says, you know, you really aren't interested in being with God's people and you want to pull back in a way, let it pass you by. That this, this is for God's people, this table that we will partake of in a little bit. That that, that sense of... Uh, priority and and communion together, sharing with one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that the bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? The word there is the Greek word koinonia. Fellowship, we often translate it. He says, is not the cup that we drink participation, koinonia, fellowship in the blood of Jesus? That we, that y'all, together partake of those things, making us more than just individuals acting that we're together in union with Jesus. It's one of the reasons why we don't like independent communion on your own. It's an act of community. And we will, if someone is a shut-in, you know, we'll take some people and try to bring a, a community to them. But I would strongly discourage you from having your own little community and communion together. It is a communal act, community. That we were made for these relational connections. And it's interesting that over time, especially here in the United States, I don't know about the rest of the world in particular, but we've had different trends in in how we do church. Right? There have been different things that have been kind of fads and other things that have been uh, trends that have lasted a while. But I think recently we, we're coming out of a season and a trend where we've been as a church, like I'm not just talking Crossroads, I'm talking capital C, you know, U.S. church in particular, about trying to you know, bring people into a building because of the ministries and programs, that then there might be some form of community connection, right? So there's a a place we draw people to with a program that then they will meet the people. And there's there's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? That has been the trend, and and our, our church has been among those doing it pretty successfully. But one of the drawbacks to that, if you do that for a long enough period of time, which I think we have done, not merely crossroads, I'm talking about the church at large, the trend becomes, especially in a culture like ours that is very individualistic and consumeristic, you know, uh, every advertisement you see is telling you why you need it and how it's going to make your life better, encouraging you to consume it, right? Every social media that you're engaging in is all about trying to provide you with what you need and figure out what you need and maybe even 
tell you what you need before you even knew you needed it so that it then becomes something you got to have. And so if you bring that in the church, if for a long time we are focusing on a place to provide programs, to bring people in, we, we start to miss the community. Do you see where it falls even in that order of things? It's the third step, you know. First, we got to have a place, you know. Then we got to have the right programs. We got to market them and get them out to people. And then the people come in and then, oh, we've got to connect with them, right? You're so busy doing the other things along the road that it's like, oh, wait, we need to connect. And in our culture, that tends to losing the connection to consumption. And we become church shoppers. Right? That's how we often describe when I'm looking for a church to go to, right? I'm become a church shopper. And what do I ask? You know, how does this church meet my needs? And that's not completely wrong, but it misses the relational component of a community. And that's what God has made us for is the relational components. I'm thankful that for years I have heard from people coming to Crossroads and sticking around that what they're here for is something more relational. Where they come in and they see, I've heard this numerous times, I see people who look like me. You know, I see people who, who are different. But there's enough variety that I feel like this is home. I've been to that church and this church and, and, and all the people look alike, but they don't look like me. You know, uh, they talk alike, but they don't talk like me. They, they think alike, but they don't think like me. You know, they, 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 they have uh, a certain preference, but it's not my preference. Right? And so we come to this place and it's like, I think we could be at home here. Is the constant feedback that I hear that I think my children would feel at home here. You know, that's not a consumer mindset. That's a relational mindset. It's, it's not without, you know, thinking of yourself. But it goes beyond just what's in it for me to, can I be a part of this community? That's, that's what Jesus calls us to. To be a community known by love so that you connect relationally with others. But that's not all He calls us to. But not only connect relationally but if we're really a community to be known by love we have to serve sacrificially and these two things go together look what jesus says in verse 34 a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i have loved you you also love one another The new commandment is not to love one another. If you've been reading through John's Gospel, you read through any of the Gospels, you read through your Bible, you know that's, that's a command. It's in fact one of the oldest commands in the whole Bible, appearing in Leviticus 19.18, where God says to His people of old, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a very old command. Uh, up there with, love God, love your neighbor. Jesus, in fact, in Matthew 22.30, 37 to 40, made a big deal about that. That on those two commands, love God, love your neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets. Those two laws are like a twin hook. Everything else 
hangs on those two hooks. Not only that, you could express it as those, those two laws, love God, love your neighbor, are, are like the two hinges of a door. Everything swings on them. Everything else, every other command, every other principle in scriptures, everything else that you read is going to relate to either loving God or loving your neighbor. They, they go together and they're inseparable themselves. They are foundational realities. So what is new? If it's not to love one another, what's new? You, you probably know this. If you don't, just look at the little bit that he says in between, just in verse 34, he says, love one another. And then he says, love one another. But in between, what does he say? Just a couple little tiny words don't really make that much of an impact, do they? Love one another, how? Even as I have loved you. Is that a small thing? Jesus says, y'all love one another as I have loved you. That's a big thing. That's a huge thing. To love one another as Jesus loved you. That's sacrificial language, right? That's powerful language. That's hard. It's it's a call to to put aside a lot and to favor others more than yourself. It's not a call to become a doormat. Jesus certainly was no doormat. It is a call to think of others more and to think of them first. It's easy to claim to love one another when we only hang out with people like ourselves, when we preach to the choir, right? Or we only hang out with Eagles fans, right? Because you, you could just hang out with the Eagles fans and, and you're all doing the same thing. You're complaining or you're rejoicing. Probably a lot more complaining. But, right? People who look like you who talk like you, who speak literally your language, who share your customs and traditions, and whose, whose beliefs identify you know, almost I, uh, completely with your own. Right? Those are the people that it's very easy to love. It becomes hard to love when you have to be with people who aren't as much like you. Because... You know, they have a different educational background because they have a different economic background, because they have a different political position, because they have a different power and position, because of age or gender, so on, right? But to have a community known by love, it's only going to demonstrate it when people who are different come together. That's the power that's available to us. And it comes as we sacrifice. It comes as we give up some of our preferences. It comes as we give up some of our power and our position. It comes as we put others first. Jesus said, how did, he, how did Jesus love people? He said what? I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus came and He could have said, everyone bow down to Me. Everyone do what I want. I'm the ruler and master and king of kings. But that is not what He did. He came and in a moment, we're gonna, you would read in John, what? what did He do? Did He say, everyone bow down to Me. Wash My feet. Take care of my needs. No, Jesus said, hey, let me put a towel on. I'll take off my outer robes. I'll put a towel on and let me wash the stinky feet of 12 men. I don't know. I mean, washing one man's stinky feet is enough, is it not? And oh yeah, by the way, one of them is the one who's going to betray him in moments. He washed the feet of his enemy. And he just says to you and I, hey, here's the new command. Love one another. Asterisk, you know, footnote. Psst. As I have loved you. And that's how people are going to know you're my followers. Jesus says, look, this is the key. Sacrificial love in a network of relationships serving, not being served. And of course, right, we're all, we're all hopefully being served in one way or another, right? And the challenge is, are, are we serving? Do we have that mindset? There's a beautiful, beautiful thing that can happen here. A virtuous cycle. You know, a vicious cycle is something that goes downward and gets worse and worse and worse, right? A virtuous cycle is the opposite of good Better and better and better. It's almost like unbelievable. But it can happen. There is a virtuous cycle, and I'm quoting, between social connection and service. Those who are more connected to their communities are more likely to engage in service. Those who are engaged in service are more likely to feel connected to their communities and individuals in it. Do, do, you, do, you, do you hear what they're saying? Research says, if you feel like you're connected to people in your community, you're more likely to do things for them and serve them. Flip side is true also. If you serve people in your community, you're going to feel more connected to your community. Both are true. And in fact, they reinforce each other powerfully. And that if you start serving and you feel connected and you keep serving, the, the physical health benefits on top of the spiritual and every other type of benefit, there's the increases more than if you're just connected and have served a little bit. The, the benefit just keeps getting better. The rich get richer in a sense. Now the thing is, the opposite is also true. That there's not only that virtuous cycle that can happen, but there's a very real vicious cycle that can happen. And I have seen it. I have seen it in my 20 years of ministry, a little bit less than that, in multiple churches. Where, and this is a composite. I'm not talking about one person or situation in particular. This is multiple situations cobbled together because they're all very similar. Where someone has been very connected in serving in the ministry, very connected with people active in this ministry or that ministry, you know, feeling great, smiling, you know, one of the people you go to in the church and say, yeah, you know, 
uh, Susie or whatever, you know, hey, she's doing stuff, she's great. Well, and then Susie has either, you know, aging parents that she has to take care of, or one of her children has a crisis, or she herself has to have some sort of surgery, and she has to pull back for a season. And everyone loves her and cares for her, and they, they give her meals and, and come and visit her, send her cards and call her and check in on her. But because of the process, it takes a little while for her to get back to a place where she could maybe serve and maybe do the things she used to do. Because it takes some time, and this is the season that she's called to, and she's doing nothing wrong, she feels abandoned. She feels lonely and disconnected despite despite the fact that meals have showed up that calls have come in that cards have come in that people even sit and visit her like that's just the reality of the way we're wired and and the brokenness of of our hearts that if we're not actively working on connecting and actively serving and getting that you know, beneficial, virtuous cycle going, it's going to go down. So listen, it's not enough to just come to worship and feel like you're connecting. It, it's a lie. It might sustain a little bit. And don't hear me saying in every situation, right? This, this, is, like, this, is, this is the way God wants it to be, that we would connect at a deeper level. It's one of the reasons why we're emphasizing creating more small group communities because that's a place where you can really connect where you get to know people share your life hear what other people have to say have the scriptures from a group together applied to your life pray for one another care for one another that and then even in the situation you know where you're in a season where you have to step back probably those people could be continuing that intimate involvement in your life and you need to find some ways to serve To connect. What's happening in this, I think, is the consumer mindset sets in. We've been living in it our whole lives for most of us. And when we have to pull back for a season, you know, we begin to think everybody else stopped meeting my needs. When it's just life situation and circumstances, right? But because we're not even aware of how our minds are shaped by our materialistic culture and consumerism and all those kind of things, we begin to think somebody has to provide the solution to me. That I have unmet needs that somehow you're failing to meet or she's failing to meet or whatever. And, and, and I don't think about the fact that, you know what? If I am a follower of Christ, He calls me to live in a community that's relationally connected where I serve sacrificially and if i can't do that what do you do i mean if you're in those situations you're a shut-in or you have just a season of life and maybe it just feels like it's going on forever what do you do number one you need to be aware of that reality you need to be aware of this virtuous cycle and the vicious cycle that both are reality and if you can even in the smallest ways consider how you can connect. And nowadays with Zoom and, and video calls, you know, you can almost do it no matter your life circumstances. You know, and find ways to serve. Just think about this for a second. Right? If we're called to be in a, in a community that's known by its love, we, we relate 
You know, we connect relationally, we serve sacrificially. You put those two together, and, and here's a good recipe for it. You sacrifice, you know, one night a week, a couple of hours in a block, maybe it's not a night, as a time to connect with people every other week. You know, get, say, I'm going to set aside two hours or three hours of my week every other week and find a way to connect with people intentionally with a Christian community, looking at the Word of God, praying for each other, those kind of things. Lord willing, we're going to have some opportunities coming out as we get through this season and organize everything and promote it. And then, if that's every other week, on the other week, set aside a similar block of time and say, this is the time when I'm going to focus on serving. So there you have it. Like You could just set aside a block literally every week of two to three hours. You say, well, I don't know that I have two to three hours. If you're serving and connecting, fine. Don't feel that pressure. But if you're not, do you realize that three hours a week is only 2% of the 168 hours that we all get? 2% of the 168. You say, well, okay, well, that's how many hours are in a week, Mike, but I, I have to work. I have to sleep. Okay. So say you sleep seven hours a night, which I hope you do. You're supposed to get like eight. You know, most people get like less than six. If you were getting seven, that'd be great. And say you worked 45 hours a week. Two to three hours of the remaining time. Guess what percentage that is? Four. Four percent. I'm paraphrasing somebody else who was talking about something else. But could you imagine if you had an employee and they said, you know, I'm not really willing to make a change that's only four percent. That's not even a whole letter grade when you're in school, right? You know, the difference between a, 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 a C and a B was what, like eight points, ten points, if you had a generous teacher, right? We're talking about like, you know, you're, you're maybe going from C minus to C with that amount of effort, with that amount of improvement, we can find the time. And here's the thing that happens. This, this, is, this is our last point. That if we are to be a community known by our love, connecting relationally, serving sacrificially, right? Jesus says, verse 35, that's going to empower you for mission. That's the foundation. Look what he says, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we're defining love for one another as connecting relationally in a community and serving sacrificially in a community, Jesus says the way the world is going to know that you're my disciples, they're going to know Jesus is by your love for one another because you're doing these things in this community. And I, and I want to tell you right now, That's hard for me to say. And I have realized in the last six months, as God has been working on my heart, I have a paranoia and a strong aversion to becoming or serving or being a part of an ingrown church. I, I despise the idea 
that we would only be about ourselves, right? Circle the wagons and no, don't let anyone in and, you know, don't do anything outward. Like, that's all in me and I don't want to be a part of that. And it's one of the beautiful things I saw here at Crossroads is all this evangelistic fervor, all this outreach, all this focus outward, all these wonderful things we're doing, right? I'm like, hallelujah, this is great. Woo! Yeah, we're not ingrown. We're focusing out. And brothers and sisters, I literally realized this this morning. Part of what I really like about all that is it's completely self-serving and aligns with my preferences and avoids the things that I feel inadequate at and don't really like doing. Because I like activity and I don't like a lot of the community stuff. I'm not beating myself up about it and I hope that Probably doesn't surprise a lot of you, <laughs> but that's a challenge for me. I'm actually aligning my preferences and, you know, maybe making a bit of an idol there because I prefer activity to the detriment of the power that comes from community. There is something powerful, Jesus says, about a community that's loving one another, that the world will see it and it will lead them to him. And I confess, I have contributed to the erosion of our community. A very concrete example. Last year, everybody loves crossroads in the summer. And, and I, I talked the leadership into in the spring of... And the early, you know, late, what would that be, 2022? 20, I said, let's try to do crossroads in the summer as an outreach to our local community, right? And, and it wound up, we didn't do any, for the most part, maybe once or twice, uh, gathering at people's homes over the summer. This wonderful tradition that we have is one of my be most beautiful memories of seeing Nate when we first got here, you know, four years old, sitting on Pastor William's lap and just singing and stuff. One of my, I will, I will remember that forever. And I totally undercut this beautiful community opportunity for outreach. And if you're like me and you like activity, you probably think, well, that's a good thing, right? And I still hear people saying, we got to do more outreach, more evangelism. And it's like, okay. And you know what we got to do? We got to work on loving one another. We've we got to work on community because Jesus says it's foundational. Utterly foundational. And it will lead people to Him. I've told this story before to a few people, but it is one of the the, the most impactful things that I've, I've heard recently. And in fact, I'm going to quote at length from this book uh, that I've been reading and rereading the last six months. Uh, but th this particular story is about the planet Neptune. It was discovered by mathematics. The first planet not discovered by observation. You know, the first planet not discovered because somebody took a telescope and was like, hey, what's that thing? But rather, people looking at another planet and the irregularities in its orbit. 
and how it seemed to be moving in unexpected ways, that it was being tugged or pushed or pulled in a different direction than one would expect. And so based on those realities, they said there must be something else out there. And they calculated with mathematical certainty before anyone set eyes on it that that Neptune existed. Our church is to be so marked by the love of Christ that his existence will be believed before he himself is seen. That people would look at all sorts of irregularities in your life, in this community, in the ways that we treat one another, that our normal patterns of behavior, such as like forgiving sins, such as extending grace and receiving grace, such as honoring and encouraging people, giving sacrificially, serving sacrificially, relating to one another who are from different backgrounds, that all of those things, as we live that irregular life, people will go, there's something really different. There's something else impacting them. There's, their trajectory is way, way different. And it would become clear that the difference is Jesus. That the watching world would see those lines of behavior that don't move in directions they've come to expect. They see an orbit of life that is unmistakably different. They see instances of deep love that reveal the gravitational pull of a greater unseen presence. And that presence is Jesus who says the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. As you relate to each other in a a community connecting to one another, as you serve one another sacrificially, that truth has been resonating in my heart for months because of this book that I read. And it's, by the way, called You're Not Crazy. Came out of COVID and a couple of pastors in Nashville uh, dealing with how crazy the church got during COVID and how polarized we are and wanted to present a different approach, a gospel approach to culture and to, to be in the church. And as God worked on me over the last six months, it's led to that point where I think this, this is where he's leading us. That community is missional. If we don't have a community that loves one another, that's known by its love, we don't have anything. And so this year, I want to challenge you to be a part of a community. I want to challenge you to be serving in the community. And I want you to stick around for the annual meeting yeah, you know, we're going to vote on the budget and everything, but there's a couple of, of quotes, especially from people in our community right here, that I want you to hear that, that totally resonate with this passage and with the theme. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, forgive us for the ways... Uh, that we, we have lost sight of your call to love one another. Forgive me for the ways that I have eroded that in my own life. Oh Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness we receive as we look to you, Jesus.
I thank You that You are a God of mercy. That You are a God who, who so wanted to relate to us and connect with us that You personally overcame all of the barriers for us by loving and serving us sacrificially. Lord, You could have just sent us immediately to hell and said, You're done. But You said, I want You in a relationship with me. And I want you more than that even. To not only be in a relationship with me and love me, I want you to love others. And that is the way I will accomplish my mission on earth. Lord, give us that heart. Revive our hearts if they are cold. Revive us, Lord, if we are wandering. Lord, forgive us if we've become so tunnel vision that we only see one thing as important and it's not loving one another. Lead us, Lord Jesus, where you would have us to go. We pray in your strong, powerful, loving name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.